Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that archives animated conversations about the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leder, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've only just finished my first sketch of them. So join us on our quest to the glorious world of Ghibli. This is the fourth and final part of our Tokyo stories, the Ghibliotech series that's been coming to you from Japan. Yes, and this is a very special episode, something a little bit different. So we had made contact with Paul Williams, not the composer of film songs and scores such as Bugsy Malone. Paul Williams, the animator who is British-born but based out in Japan. We'd made contact over Twitter before because he's working very much in the tradition of Isao Takahata's side of Ghibli. He put together a really beautiful tribute to Takata that was shared on Twitter. I'd recommend listeners look it up. It's absolutely gorgeous. And we had really loved his previous work. He'd worked on films such as Ethel and Ernest, the adaptation of the Raymond Briggs book, but also a little film called The Red Turtle, which I know you like, Jake. I certainly do, yeah. have maybe mentioned that. I'm a fan of that film. So we really wanted to sit down with Paul, have a coffee, and pick his brains about an animator's view on Studio Ghibli, as well as maybe this insider-outsider view of the Japanese animation industry. Yeah, and we have often mentioned on this show how much we want to champion Takahata, how he has been, for me, the discovery of doing this podcast. And it was so lovely to talk to Paul about just how much he meant to him as an artist as well. So this is us sitting down with Paul Williams, Outside a traditional cafe, you can hear a lovely little water feature in the background, just a short walk from the Ghibli Museum. Paul, thank you for talking to us. Um, If you could just very quickly tell us who you are, what you do, maybe where we may have seen your work to date. Yeah, sure. Um, Thank you for um, welcoming me and having the opportunity to talk. Um, I am a British animator. Um, but mostly been working on uh, European films um, 
for the last 10, 15 years maybe, um, traveling around quite a lot, um, different countries. Um, however, it was working on the Red Turtle with uh, Michael Dudot DeWitt, which kind of, um, I would say, was almost a nexus point for me in coming over to Japan. Mm. It's the influence of seeing all the, the Japanese culture within that film, the, the ideas, the, uh, the references, and uh, the opportunity to, uh, in some way, get connected to Studio Ghibli, Takahata-san, seeing what they would bring to the production. And, um, and it, that influenced me coming over here and um, looking to, I guess, provide my, uh, my influences, learn from animation over here culturally um, and see how I can grow in that sense. Were you based in France then? Before um, the yeah, Turtle, for or? the Red Turtle I was based in France, Angoulême, near Bordeaux. Um, I think that was for about a year and a half maybe. I came on through halfway through production because um, my actual uh, job description was kind of uh, somewhere between uh, animation assist, uh, um, the director, um, supervision. It was the best way to describe it on this production. It, probably had more in line with a Japanese production than a European production in my experience in that um, the animators will do their scenes, um, Michael will look over them, give them comments, then the shots will go through to assist and sometimes a scene will come back to Michael and it, it might not quite be working how he envisioned um, and with Michael it I felt as though it was more about his intuition and his feeling for a shot. It wasn't necessarily the technical aspect of a shot, but the way something felt. You had to have a certain feeling from a, a scene for him. And uh, whether that is the way a character would touch the arm of another or the way the character would turn, it, it, he was very high up on the intuition stakes as a director. And uh, my job um, was more or less to rework scenes that were in different stages, whether it was rough animation or whether it was tie-down or whether it was clean-up, and basically make it feel more like what he wanted. So if uh, a character was swimming, like I had two characters swimming in uh, the water, the, the, the man and the lady, beforehand it was, it was technically fine, it, it worked, but Michael wanted a feeling of relaxation, of a feeling of a like a special quiet moment and I had to kind of repose or reanimate that using the drawings that were there but also reworking it in my own sense to get that or um, for example the, uh, the last dance um, the animator had done a, a great job on that but for some reason after it came back in assist it was it had a different feeling to it. It had a little bit more of a, a rhythm, maybe, than, uh, than, than Michael wanted. So um, I had to kind of put in a little bit more of a feeling of a last moment. You know, this is the end kind of thing, like the two, an old couple hugging, kissing for the last time almost. And, uh, and it was those kind of uh, emotionally based changes on these shots is something I don't normally see in films because normally um, in a European production you would uh, get the scenes back from cleanup and there might be a few technical changes, changes. but uh, that would be it, the scene would be as it is and, and in many cases on The Red Turtle what, we, what I saw before and what ended up in the film sometimes the changes could be huge.
it would just be a case of feeling. But the film that came out in the end was completely different, in my view, than had it been done in a typically European manner of animation done, approved, cleanup done, approved. A small change or that's it, nothing done, approved. Uh, I think that shows so much, particularly Takahata's influence on that film as, what was his title again? Creative? Creative producer? Mm, yeah, artistic or creative producer right. or something like that, yeah. I think um, I remember hearing a few little uh, conversations between Michael uh, and uh, Takahata-san and, you know, he'd be a very slow thinker, like you see in the documentary, <laughs> and then he'd just say something, right? It'd just knock you out. You know, and he'd always think deeply, and he could almost say that's exactly the same as Michael is in many ways. He's a very deep thinker, and when he does speak, it makes sense. You completely understand what he's trying to say. He was the director, and he is the director, yet he gave the artists the feeling of enough creative involvement that you felt personally invested in the shots. The changes I made from the direction that Michael gave me. It was his changes he wanted, yet I felt as though I was being creative with it, whereas on other productions, if you're being asked to make a change, it's a very technical job, like character walks in, his hand's not touching the doorknob, move his hand over, or a uh, character's arm looks weird, fix the arm, or his leg looks weird, fix the leg. Um, There's just something about Michael where he, he has a very personal touch to the way he talks to you and explains his ideas behind something, but you feel as though you're part of that. You're not just coming in, fixing it, and then going out. And um, and it was a very, very close team of artists on that. We all, from my perspective, we all really enjoyed working on it with him. And that's really eye-opening because there's so much I don't that we, that we don't know from the outside. People who just watch films, we have a sense maybe with live action what a director, producer, writer, costume designer, production designer, what they all do. But when it comes to animation, you have all these titles. Director, animation director, key animator, character designer, background, etc. Where the bulk of the responsibilities, the bulk of the creative input lies. But it sounds quite collegiate, what you're saying there. And the director, and specifically when we, talk, we move on to talk about Isao Takahata, a director of animation who doesn't personally draw or personally animate. You know, what that role is, it's quite yeah. interesting, you know, but it yeah. sounds very emotional, very much about relationship really based. Yeah. yeah, for this production it really, it's, and, and probably more than anything, the, the title of a position uh, is kind of feeling very fluid on that production as well. I mean, it's one of the biggest influences to my point is when you work on a film which feel special when it's when you when you see it for the first time where everything just seems to come together in a way that you didn't quite imagine it would do um, there's a lot of productions and unfortunately in Europe where they have these amazing parts of the puzzle and for some reason they never quite gel they never quite click the way you imagine they would um, but with the Red Turtle uh, whether it's down to the, the compositing or the music um, the little details at the end really kind of connected everything and it was almost uh, together it was more than all the parts separately. Um, we had great animators, we had great designers, we had great sound artists, you know, effects animators, director, but how you put it all together 
it finished up feeling like there was something actually put in, but I don't know where it came from. <laughs> and it was working on the Red Turtle that inspired you to come out here? To yes, yes, yes. There's two things actually. Um, one of my friends, Bob Walkers, who was, he was the other Dutch guy working on uh, the Red Turtle, is a, is a wonderful, wonderful chap, an animator. And, uh, and I was talking to him how the first time I'd gone overseas, I was in Barcelona, and I had started to watch uh, Totoro, and uh, I, I loved the film, but it was getting too late, and we stopped it halfway through, and I said, I have not seen the second half of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and this was uh, ten years later. And uh, Bob, being Bob, he, he said, I'll, I'll give you a film, uh, Grave of the Fireflies. And he, and he said, if you do not cry, you have no soul. <laughs> so so I, I put the film on and the opening scenes come out and I said, oh, come on, it's one of these, you know, he's going to die, he's already said it, it's cliche. And by the end, I was all over the place. Uh, it, it knocked me for six. I don't know how it knocked me for six because you knew what was going to happen but it was uh, the pain of knowing and yet seeing the hope go away and as I think Takahata said once um, when you lose hope everything's over and it's almost like a theme in his films I guess when characters lose hope of it working out it's over everything falls apart um, you could almost say that in Pompoko, when they realise it's over, it's done. When the big big dude dies, that's it, they know they're over. Um, obviously in Fireflies, yeah. when, the, when the boy realises his younger sister knows his mum's dead, you know they're going to die. Um, and from then on I became more invested in Takahata's films. And uh, we've had more conversations with Michael about Takahata and Ghibli. And he said uh, I should go to Tokyo because I'd love it. And I managed, when, when they had the premiere, I managed to save all my money up to come over. Um, I think I was, it was me, Michael, his family, and uh, Laurent Perez, Delmar, the musician. And um, it was just uh, a wonderful experience because it was. Uh, it kind of surprised me a bit in that I was the only artist that made the opportunity to go over there because as soon as I realised I might have the opportunity to see Takahata-san or Suzuki-san, I thought, oh, come on, I'm going to do this, you know. Whatever money I had, I did. And I, I spent like three months going around Japan in Hiroshima animation, uh, Yakushima, where they um, used part of influence for uh, Princess Mononoke. And um, of course, I met Takahata-san at the premiere and uh, got a photo and he was, he was holding this uh, music uh, CD by uh, Perez uh, Daba yeah. and, um, and I know that meant a lot to him as well because obviously he's a big fan of uh, Ghibli and uh, Takahata too. Yeah, it's, it's one of these things when you read all these books or see these directors on DVD or documentary, they are who they are, you know, so I remember looking outside when uh, we were all talking and Takahata-san and his uh, assistant were walking in this garden park outside and he was just walking around looking at the, the trees and the birds and it was just exactly how you imagine him to be in any moment. Um, and a really nice guy and Suzuki-san as well, really nice. He's somebody 
He's our the, hero. He's our hero throughout this podcast. When you look into the behind the scenes story of the studio and all the films, he's the guy keeping all the plates spinning, yeah. trying to serve up, don't keep to labor the metaphor too much, serve yeah. up all these projects, keep these great filmmakers working, and keep the studio running. Yeah. I'd love to meet him someday yeah. and have a conversation with him. And he's an artist as well. He's a creative yeah. artist as well. So he's, he's, he did these line uh, pictures, uh, line stamps of um, Ghibli, you know, yeah. where you see pictures of Dr. <coughs> beautifully done. He's a wonderful calligrapher. Um, there's quite a few books of his out with calligraphy well, and uh, production a, management. Bought one yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've, I've got a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't read all of it yet, but I've got it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Something to just enjoy and drink yeah. in, even if you can't read what it says. Yeah, I just seen the pictures, but it's it's he's. Uh, you've got to give full respect to him because it's very hard in the, the last 30 years to see any other company who have been able to keep the consistency of films that Studio Ghibli have been making. And to those two directors that are very diverse characters, and very diverse films, and that he allowed them to create what they wanted to create, um, that's a very hard thing to do. Could you tell us a little bit about that um, journey into Takahata's work that you went on after watching Grave of the Fireflies? Which films you saw, which ones you appreciate now, if there's one more than the other that, you, that you'd recommend to people? Well, um, the first one, the first time, I think the first time you experience the director's work, you always can have a very close moment with it, so, uh, or association. So, uh, Grave of the Fireflies um, is a film that I think a lot of people would think nothing happens, and it's, it's the point that you, you need to just watch it and soak it in. It's, it's a sense of empathy that you feel for those characters that he brings out in you. It makes you look at yourself and make, makes you wonder how would you react in that situation. With, um, let's say, uh, Miyazaki's films, um, you can't always say, what would I do in that scenario? Because it looks like an amazing adventure for the young child or character that's in that. And it's a beautiful film that Miyazaki creates, but the Takahata's, um, it's just another level. It makes you really think deeply. There's so many different levels to it. Um, for example, Pompoko, um, which I, I absolutely love. First shots I see, I just see, if I can say, you might want to bleep it out, a bunch of testicles bouncing on the screen. <laughs> and, and I saw that, and I thought, oh, Studio Ghibli? <laughs> Have I? Is this the right film? I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't imagine they could do that. Yeah. Uh, and obviously in Japan, the whole testicle thing is completely different to how um, Western culture would, uh, <laughs> would take it, but that story knocked me for six as well. I mean, there are some really deep moments in there, and I, I had heard one story um, that when, um, and I'd love for this to be true, but when Miyazaki saw the film, he came out crying, because apparently the, the story has its origins in kind of a probably a personal message between Takahata and Miyazaki in their relationship, whether it was together or with their previous studio, where there are always uh, kind of arguments between them and the studio heads about what they want to create and what they're told they have to do, and uh, it's kind of a reason for them going off to create their own studio. So when you look at the two sides fighting against each other, it's almost 
like this isn't what the battle is about. It's about the bigger issue going on. And um, I think there's a, there's a very personal message from Takahata to Miyazaki in that, which you can look at if you watch it another time. And you can almost say that one of those characters kind of looks like Takahata, you know, being yeah. a big guy when he gets angry. Um, so there's a lot of little personal things you hear. Um, let's just sort of add to it. Um, Only Yesterday is uh, a beautifully told film. Um, Kagoi Hime, I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, you know, just artistically. That's one where, yeah, artistically, he's really trying to redefine what feature length animation could look like. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, and he, and he, he could almost say he was kind of doing that throughout most of his films. Um, even in Only Yesterday, there's a documentary with Kazuo Ogo where he's talking about the past having a very watercolory, washy feel, and the present having more refined details and images. And you, you can't even really do that in, a, in a, a Western feature film because typically every shot is as it is. If, you, if it's a flashback, maybe it's black and white. Yeah. But within this, it actually changed the, the background process to reflect the memory in the present, which I thought was uh, really smart. And uh, yeah, it's, it was just a brilliant uh, director. So we've never spoken to an animator before, it's particularly about these films and it seems like the emotional effect of the film and the artistic effect of the film go hand in hand for you or is it, do you look at them as pioneers in animation or storytelling or what, what is it that strikes you about these films? Yeah, well I think that um, in the last few years there's probably been more examples where my perception might have changed a bit. I would say that the, the artistic quality and the, the story, the direction, if you can bring all of that together, it's fantastic. Then you have the perfect piece. Yeah. Um, for example, on the Red Turtle, um, normally when I'm working on a film, I can spot a mistake, a frame out of place, a pop, something on any film I've worked on because I remember seeing it when I was working on it. I remember wanting to fix it. I remember, you know, and normally in productions you don't get to fix everything. Something gets through. But for the Red Turtle, honestly, I cannot remember a single thing that popped out in my head. And it, and it was a weird experience. <laughs> it's like to sit back and enjoy the movie. I lost myself in it. And normally for a film that I work on, I can't do that. Um, so in that sense, when you get the artistic quality, meeting the story when it's fantastic. Then you have a full uh, visceral experience of the, the sound, the visuals, the, the emotion, the story, everything. Um, and then you can have great stories where the, the animation isn't quite so high quality. Um, of course, from each generation, the animation changes. So you look at uh, uh, Pompoco or um, Grave of the Fireflies, and by today's standards, the you could say almost everything could be done more finitely, it could be more detailed, it could be designed differently. It won't necessarily make it a better story because the story is fantastic already and everything works great as it is. Um, but on the flip side you have, and to, to be humble I won't mention the studios, but you have some amazingly animated films 
but the story, the, the pacing of the, the sequences, you can have, I mean, there's, whether they are Japanese, American or European, you, I've seen a number of films which have an amazing animation. Yeah, the, the characters are not, you don't have any feeling for the characters or the, or the sequences have a kind of weird pacing or the, the dialogue is weird. It, is something that uh, falls apart and in, and in that sense the quality of the animation it always makes it sad mm -hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't quite come off so yeah. it kind of I guess for me it increases the fact that I'm not happy about the film okay. if it's bad animation and bad story I can kind of accept it but if it's great animation and bad story then I'm thinking it's a waste a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'd love to ask, outside of Studio Ghibli, then, what are the films that do tick those boxes for you? The two, the two boxes at once. Because actually, yeah. we have now come to the end of the Ghibli library and we're thinking where to go next. And people, our listeners are saying, maybe the, more, the logical place to go next are other Japanese filmmakers. But then also, if you think about Ghibli, they are a class of their own outside of Japan, their international animation. And where could we go? Are there any other filmmakers that we should look to that might have that, those two qualities of great animation, great storytelling? anyone you could recommend? To be brutally honest, outside of Takahata Miyazaki in Japan, I think you've had some uh, really, really good films, Satoshi Kon, um, Tokyo Godfathers is an absolute classic. 
Um, I've been throwing around the podcast name Tokyo Podfathers <laughs> well, for we a have, while. We, we could follow the Ghibliotech <laughs> with the chronology, yeah. where we could do his four features and one TV series, and yeah. that's almost, a, I mean, it's a very sad reason for it to be a perfect yeah. canon of work, but his films are incredible. With um, uh, Satoshi Kon, um, his work is uh, phenomenal. I mean, there's even the film The Dreaming Machine, which um, has not yet been finished. Um, I think it's still on hiatus because they, they don't want to finish it because of, he's not involved anymore yet. Quite a lot of the animation has been done. Um, you have you have people that were involved with Ghibli and Satoshi Kon, you know, so you've got a relationship there between artists and production staff that have kind of worked for both companies. Mm. Um, then I would definitely say Satoshi Kon, and I would also say um, I've been reading um, Miyazaki's uh, Starting Point and I think Turning Point, yeah. maybe um, books, which are fantastic just to see basically his lectures and see how he changes or his thinking. And, um, and he refers to quite a few of the Russian directors and films. So um, looking for the influences that Miyazaki and Takahata look for, which actually goes back to Europe and Russia. Yeah. So you could even look at some of their projects maybe that influenced them. And so you've got something leading into Studio Ghibli. But coming from Studio Ghibli or aside from Studio Ghibli, Satoshi Kon. Uh, the newer directors, to be honest, I haven't seen much of their works. Um, just because for me, Ghibli have a very uh, European sensibility about them. There's something about the, the acting and the visuals that don't really lend themselves into the, the anime culture as much as uh, a TV series would, in, in my view. Um, it's the quality of the line or the, the quality of the world. It's just something very special about Ghibli. Um, but I mean, for Amer um, American animation, you look to the older Disney films, probably. Um, and I mean, the, the older ones, like uh, you know, whether nine old men were still involved, they would be, they would be something quite special to look at. Um, well, you know, Disney, have you seen any Disney films, Jake? Well, they're a bit of a small studio, I think it's a bit of a niche subject. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, I, I wonder whether, to, to, to finish, one project you worked on that both Jake and I really like is the Raymond Briggs adaptation, Ethel and Ernest. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Which only recently, even though it's two years old since yeah. the, the film played at the London Film Festival and was released in the UK, only recently came out in Japan. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'd love to know what that's been like as a person who worked on that film in Japan, who now lives in Japan for that film. Such tomorrow. an English story. Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah, it's been, really it's been it. phenomenal. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I've learned a lot about the uh, the film and the, the audiences as well, because um, I mean, obviously of Sanao Katabuchi, that's another director I should mention. Yeah. Um, In this corner of the world, yeah. He's another director, I've got to say, he's one of my favourite directors now, so he's, you've got to be looking at his work, definitely. Um, 
but it links into Eflanonis because um, for the, the talk for Eflanonis when it premiered in Japan last year, um, Camilla Deakin, the producer, um, and Sanao Katabuchi were given uh, their thoughts on the film and uh, kind of the connections between the two stories, which is basically um, a person's experience during the tragedy, but the tragedies are in the background. Whereas normally in a film, it's about what happens to the population. In these stories, like Takahata, it's about what happens to the characters. Some big events are happening around, like, uh, for example, in The Grave of the Fireflies. Um, um, in, uh, in Only Yesterday, I guess you could say, the, at the very beginning of the film, the talk was um, about the problem that every nine to five business selling one had in Japan is that their life was just going nowhere almost. Yes. And this is a story of a girl getting back into her childhood's uh, dreams and uh, finding who she wants to be. So it was a very personal side to that story. Um, but with, uh, with Ethel and Ernest, um, it's beautiful to see that there are so many similarities between Jap Japanese culture and uh, British culture. In uh, the audiences to see it, they could see a lot of their families, their, their past generations, to see that even though we were on the other, end, other side of the world, we were still just normal people with families trying to get through these events. We weren't involved in these events in any great way. We were kind of on the receiving end of it. And uh, Ethel and Ernest show that, much like in this corner of the world does. And uh, one thing that really kind of surprised me is I had to give a, like a little question and answer talk after one of the screenings in the Army Hall, who I believe double check on this, um, the famous publishing house in Japan, I think, Iwanami Shota, I think, and a very famous place um, in theatre and uh, incredibly highly thought of. And yet, yeah, F. and Ernest was the first hand-drawn film shown there. Oh. And when you think about all those <laughs> Ghibli films, films, all those other foreign there. films, and uh, they managed to pick F. and Ernest as the first yeah. 2D feature to show that. Once, once you make that connection between almost, you know, we're going to say Ray Raymond Briggs yeah. and, and Takahata, perhaps. Ethel Ernest shares something almost with My Neighbours, the Yamadas, the, the sort of observational household relationships between, uh, particularly the scenes, I think, where it's the Raymond Briggs insert character. Yeah. Uh, as he gets older, he's like, oh, let me comb your hair before you go to your <laughs> yeah, college yeah, yeah. and everything. You know, meeting your girlfriend for the first time. It's, yeah. it's all there. It's that everyday... As, as you sort of said about Great Fireflies, with Ethel and Ernest, people can say, oh, nothing happens. Yeah. But so much happens in that entire film, it that is, entire yeah. story. You see a whole life, a whole generation before your eyes, um, growing up and achieving their dream. And the final, well, it's the, the, the way that the film and the book all wrap around in the end is seeing that tree that grew from a pip in the back garden. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so much wisdom within that. Well, and. Today at the museum, we watched a film about a white humanoid <laughs> creature being given a fruit or vegetable for a nose and springing to life. Mm -hmm. And if, if that's not a double bill with the snowman, I don't know what is. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely wonderful. Paul, thank you so much for spending yeah. time with us. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. You've been wonderful meeting all of you. Thank you. Thanks, thank Paul. You. 
thank you once more to Paul Williams for sitting down with us and giving us that special insight, the animator's insight into the work of Studio Ghibli. We mentioned up top that you can find an animated tribute to the work of Isao Takahata that Paul made. You can find that on his Twitter account, which is artporu, A-R-T-P-O-R-U. And what an ending, really. This is the last of our Tokyo stories. Hopefully we can reboot the series in a couple of years when the theme park's open. We can get back to Japan and make some more of these. But it was an incredible adventure. It really was. And I hope you've all enjoyed listening to the material we've come back with. There is more. There are photos, videos, other treats that you can find at ghibliotech.tumblr.com. And you can keep up with us on Twitter. We're at Ghibliotech. And actually, we should probably figure out what we're going to do now. Because is this like... This is like completing the video game, isn't it? This is this is it. We did it. We've won. Yeah. We can retire now. <laughs> retire on that big podcast money. So what's going to come next with Ghibliotech? Follow us on Twitter to find out. Or maybe you'll find some hints if you follow us personally. Jake is on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. And Michael is at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts, and Harold McShiel. Thanks to John Harris, Evan Marr, Annie Hughes, Dan Jones, and Karis Gaskin for their help putting the trip together, and to everyone who sent in their Tokyo recommendations. Hi, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us through the credits. Right now, at the time we're recording, we know it's not too easy to travel or to visit a busy cultural space, so we thought we'd just leave you with a moment to sit in the courtyard at the Ghibli Museum and have a small bit of virtual travel at the end of this episode and at the end of this mini-series. Thank you for listening, and stay safe. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.